Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of nutcracker esophagus found under the gastrointestinal section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 72-year-old obese woman presents to her primary care physician with intermittent chest pain and difficulty swallowing liquids and solid foods. Cardiac workup, including electrocardiogram, cardiac enzymes, and coronary angiography are normal. She undergoes barium swallow radiography, which was also normal. Further testing with esophageal manometry demonstrates 182 millimeters of mercury of pressure created by the esophagus during peristalsis. Let's continue with an introduction to nutcracker esophagus. Clinically, this is defined as high amplitude but coordinated contraction of the esophagus. It is also known as hyperperistalsis. It is benign and non-progressive. Conditions that are associated include metabolic syndrome, obesity, gastroesophageal reflux disease. In terms of the epidemiology, this can occur at any age but is more common between 60s and 70 years old. In terms of the pathogenesis, the causes are unclear, but they may be related to dysregulated neurotransmitters or nitric oxide levels. Moving on to the presentation. Many patients are asymptomatic. Those with symptoms may include chest pain, which is non-exertional, and it may radiate to the arm, back, neck, or jaw, and there may be dysphagia to solid and liquid foods. On exam, there are typically no specific findings. In terms of further imaging, upper gastrointestinal barium swallow may be normal, and it may have a spiral appearance. Other studies include esophageal manometry, which is diagnostic, and it will demonstrate peristaltic contractions with greater than 180 millimeters of mercury of amplitude. Endoscopy is typically normal, and it is used to rule out anatomical causes of dysphagia. With regards to the diagnostic approach, it can be difficult to distinguish from cardiac chest pain and cardiac workup such as electrocardiogram, stress test, and even coronary angiography is often indicated and normal. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about achalasia, with distinguishing factors being that there will be increased lower esophageal sphincter function. Also think about diffuse esophageal spasm, with distinguishing factors being that this will demonstrate normal amplitude but non-peristaltic contractions. Also think about angina and acute coronary syndrome. Distinguishing factors for this include cardiac risk factors, elevated cardiac enzymes, and ST changes on EKG. In terms of treatment, this may include risk factor modification, which can include weight loss. First-line options include calcium channel blockers and nitrates. These reduce the severity of the spasms. Another option is the trazodone antidepressant. This reduces visceral sensitivity. Interventional options include endoscopic injection of botulinum toxin, endoscopic dilatation, and a helermyotomy. This is indicated for cases refractory to other treatment, and it helps to relax the lower esophageal sphincter and myenteric plexus. And finally, complications related to nutcracker esophagus include food bolus obstruction. That's all for this review about nutcracker esophagus. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, 
you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.